This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I am talking with Todd Henry of The Accidental Creative. What is that? He will explain it. Don't worry. He also has a new book out called Die Empty. And no, it is not just about checking off everything on your bucket list and making sure you have an empty bucket list to-do list. I'm really excited about this book. I got to read it ahead of time, and I'm telling you definitely it's one that you are going to want to pick up, especially after listening to this interview. The Accidental Creative, as well as Die Empty, are both excellent books that I have read, and I highly endorse them. I don't do that often on this show, I guess. But there you go. There's There are two books right there that I think, if you're looking to do good work and not just enjoy it, but really just be rewarded by it, these are two books that are really going to help you out in figuring that out. And, and as we talk about, they're kind of, you know, read the first one and then move on into the second one. And it's kind of a continuation of fleshing out of those ideas and things like that. So also a book you might want to pick up is mine that I co-wrote with Jim Woods. It's called Beyond the To-Do List Goals. And you can find that at beyondthetodolist.com slash goals. It's cheaper than a really good cup of coffee, but it'll last a whole lot longer and have a lot more effect on your life than just the caffeine buzz. Go check that out. There's been a lot of great feedback. There's a lot of great reviews there sitting there that'll probably convince you if you go check it out. So consider this goals book the sponsor of the podcast this week to support the show. Well, this episode, it is my privilege to talk to an accidental creative, Todd Henry. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. Okay. Accidental creative. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't get it. Like, I mean, I get it. I read the book, but my audience may not have read the book. So how the heck do you be brilliant on a moment's notice? Yeah, it's funny because when I when I started the the company and the podcast and and wrote the book and all of that, that's actually one of the more common questions that I, that I get. But it's great because it provides me a nice entry point to talk about our philosophy of creativity, which is if you want to experience great ideas consistently over the course of your life, uh, in other words, experience those moments of serendipity or those um, creative accidents, as we call them, you have to be purposeful in how you structure your life. You know, most people think that creativity is the domain of flighty people who have no structure and they bounce from thing to thing and, oh, look at those creatives over there. But if you look at the lives of brilliant, disciplined, productive people over the course of time, people who have made great contributions, they have disciplines in their life. They have practices in their life that 
sustain them, that position them to be able to have great ideas consistently. And so when I call someone an accidental creative, what I mean is somebody who's regularly experiencing those moments of breakthroughs, those moments of creative accidents, typically it's the result of having built practices into your life to prepare you for those moments when you have to be brilliant. And, and that's really the primary work that I do. That's, that's my area of study. And obviously that's what the first book, The Accidental Creative, was about. And I continue many of those same themes in the new book, Die Empty, as well. Yeah. Tease the first book for a second and tell me <laughs> what are some of those things that if, if you're more of a free spirited person and you're, you know, quote unquote, a creative as the stereotype goes, then maybe, you know, again, t- going towards that stereotype, you're not necessarily a structured person. That's a fallacy, I would think. I would think that uh, you're saying the structure is there to allow you to harness those creative moments at a drop of a hat, basically, right? Absolutely, no question about it. I think it was Orson Welles who said, the absence of limitation is the enemy of art, right? Self-limitation, structure, purpose is critical. And by the way, when we say creative, that doesn't just mean artists, you know, people with domain expertise. What we're talking about is anyone who has to work with their mind every day, anyone who has to turn their thoughts into value. I mean, we're doing that right now. We're, we're creating content. This is a creative act. You know, people who strategize, manage, they're being creative every day. And there are five kind of common areas, we won't go into all the dynamics that inhibit creativity, but there are five common areas that I call areas of, or elements of creative rhythm, areas where you need to build practices. By way of overview, there are focus. Focus is about how you define your work. You know, if creativity is problem solving at the heart of it, you have to define the problems you're trying to solve. So that means you need to have practices in your life to step back, define your work, make sure you understand what your priorities are. Relationships is the second one. There's a myth of the lone innovator out there, Eric. But you and I both know, even in the, in the area of creating content, podcasting, the kinds of things that we do, you know, as, as a function of, of our roles or our jobs, that it, it all has to exist in the context of relationship. You know, there's no such thing as the lone genius. Innovation is the collective grasp for the next. It's groups of people stumbling awkwardly into the unknown together, into uncertainty, and pursuing what Stephen Johnson calls, borrowing a term from evolutionary biology, calls pursuing the adjacent possible, right? That's what innovation is. And we need other people to help us stay aligned and connected. The third element is energy. We're brilliant at managing our time. We're abysmal at managing our energy. So we stack obligation after obligation. We get to the end of the day, we've got nothing left to give because we haven't been managing our energy effectively. So we have to have some practices to help us do that. S is for stimuli. Stimuli are all the things that go into our heads. We need to have a practice on a regular basis of doing things like, quick little plug here, listening to podcasts, right, that feed our mind, um, listening to audiobooks, reading books, communing with great minds, as Stephen Sample calls it from USC. We need to have those kinds of practices in our life because what goes into our head becomes the raw material, the fodder for our creative process. We have to be careful about what we put in our mind. And then the last element is ours. Hours are all about where we put our time. Time is the currency of productivity. But at the end of the day, where we put our time determines our success or failure. But we often default, Eric, to an efficiency mindset rather than an effectiveness mindset with our time. So we do things that make us feel the the surge of immediate productivity. And you talk about this on your podcast all the time. The things that make us feel immediately productive, but we're compromising long-term value because we're not doing things that uh, make us truly effective and allow us to, to create 
uh, more valuable ideas. We, we compromise those things for the sake of the immediate efficiency. We sacrifice long-term effectiveness on the altar of short-term efficiency. So those five elements, uh, focus, relationships, energy, stimuli, hours, they spell the acronym FRESH, which was thoroughly not my idea, by the way. It was my editor's <laughs> idea for the first book. Uh, as a matter of fact, at first, hours was time, and he came to me and said, right now you have FREST, and FREST is not very good. <laughs> so <laughs> we changed time to hours so it's more memorable. But the, you know, building practices in those areas, it provides a scaffolding for your creative process and, uh, and helps you be better positioned to have great ideas when you need them. Now, there's no formula. There's no guarantee. Creativity is not an equal input, equal output kind of proposition. But if you have practices in your life, a kind of rhythm, you are far better positioned to have ideas when you need them than if you just try to shoot from the hip. You're smart. <laughs> uh, I'm just, there, there you go. That's my compliment. Because, geez, I'm, I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, well, there's a quote, there's a quote, there's a quote that I'm going to put in the show notes. And I'm just like, this is all... I, I speak in tweetables. You I, know? Yeah, you, you, you've been practicing that for sure. And so, again, that's the first book. That's Accidental Creative. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where you've been dwelling in terms of the podcast. There's also a podcast. It's number 15 as of this recording right now. So that's kind of cool. In the business section. When you finished that book, you sat down and you worked on getting all the, the fresh out there for people. Like, what was the experience like after you handed that project off? How did your life change in terms of the those fresh things so every milestone that we reach every goal that we accomplish you know writing a book and publishing it through a major publisher was was kind of one of my lifelong goals um, some people don't have that same goal I mean self-publishing is a perfectly great thing for for whatever reason for me I'd always wanted to you know to, to kind of go through that whole process and see what it was like to work with an editor and, you know the publisher and all that so I'd, I'd kind of reached this goal and it was great and I kind of to be frank thought that hey July 7th 2011 you know 7711 the luckiest release date ever by the way I thought, hey, you know, when this book comes out the next day, July 8th, everything in my world is going to be different. Everything's going to change. Not the case. <laughs> you know, um, what I discovered was that writing a book, which is about a year long process or a year and a half long process with editing and everything, is the first step in a very, very long process of going out and talking about the book and promoting the book and marketing the book and figuring out how to actually transmit its value to the people that you serve. You know, books, um, you know, writing and publishing books, it's fine, whatever. But really, the reason we do that, Eric, and the reason you create podcasts and the reason I create content is because we want to see some kind of effective change in the world. We want to see a delta as a result of our effort every day. And so for me, the book was, as my friend Ricardo Crespo calls it, portable equity. It was a way for me to put it in people's hands and say, this is what I believe you need to do if you want to be effective. And let me know if you want me to come and help you learn more about that. So the, the hardest part for me was getting the word out. Now, I will fully admit, right after the book came out, I was kind of in this haze of what do I do now? Where do I go now? I, I feel like I'd fully poured myself into the book and spent several months you know, trying to market it, run my business. I was doing a ton of speaking and all of that at the same time. That was really kind of, and I, and I even tell this story early on in the new book, Die Empty. That was really an interesting time for me because I believe that any kind of success, Eric, can be the harbinger of, of complacency, can be the harbinger of eventual decline and failure if we're not careful. Because it's easy when you experience success to try to do more of what brought you the original success. But I believe that we have to be willing to disintermediate our own processes, disintermediate our own life, our own um, expectations, assumptions, 
and, and go back to square one and say, okay, what now? You know, establish a new vector for our lives. And that's really what I needed to do at the end of you know, having written and, and put out the accidental creative and then spend a lot of time talking about it is I needed to say, okay, this is great. But and, and the next logical progression for me, and I, I wrote about this in the new book as well, would have been, okay, some, some kind of follow-up on creativity or innovation for teams or um, something kind of squarely in that same lane, right? But that was not what was burning in my bones. That was not the kind of book that I knew I needed to write. And I knew that if I didn't go the direction I eventually ended up going, I probably would have regrets for the rest of my life. And so I chose to go a decisively different direction with this new book, um, which is I, maybe a bit ironically, I don't know, exactly where I ended the first book, which is with the story of how Die Empty became kind of the motto for my life. You know, I'm, I'm super glad now in retrospect that I decided to go that way. So it's the sequel. It is kind of the sequel. <laughs> yeah, because, because, you know, I mean, and really the, that story, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine was leading a meeting. You know, he asked kind of an out of the blue question. He said, what do you think is the most valuable land in the world? And we were kind of caught off guard and we're throwing out responses like, I don't know, um, oil fields of the Middle East, right? Or diamond mines of, of Africa. Or, you know, he said, no, you're all wrong. The, the most valuable land in the world is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard are buried all of the unlaunched businesses, all of the unreconciled relationships, all of the projects that people said, yeah, I'm going to get around to that tomorrow. Someday I'm going to start that. And one day their tomorrow's ran out. You know, my friend of mine likes to say the death rate is hovering. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right around 100%, you know? So we all have a finite amount of time on this earth. And that day I went back to my office. I wrote the words die empty on a note card. I stuck them on my wall. And I made that the ethic of my life because I want to know at the end of my life that when I look back, I can point to a body of work that represents what I really care about. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't leave my job that day. You know, I didn't go off in search of greener pastures. I decided that I was going to figure out a way to pour myself fully into whatever I did, whatever was in front of me. Um, and, and that was, again, many, many years ago, even before I wrote The Accidental Creative. And so this new book really picks up on the themes of The Accidental Creative and says, okay, great. So you have all these great ideas. That's fine. But how do you bend your life and your work around what matters to you? And how do you build a body of work that you can point to at the end of your life and say, yes, this represents what I care about? Because no matter what we say, Eric, I mean, people say a lot of things. It's not what we say. It's what we do that matters. And so our actions define reality. Kierkegaard said, uh, action parts the fog on stagnant waters. Cowardice kills us. When we refuse to act, then we submit ourselves to a life of apathy, of mediocrity, and an abdication of our contributions. So we have to be willing to act decisively on the things that matter to us if we don't want to live a life that eventually we will regret. So my goal is when I look back the last day of my life, and by the way, die empty doesn't mean it, getting everything done. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to exhaust myself today or I'm going you know, to kill myself in the pursuit of great work. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is I'm going to choose to put my focus, my assets, my time, my energy. Your fate determines your fate, right? Your focus, assets, time, energy. I'm going to put those four things in the place that matters most today. And I'm going to do that, choose to do that every single day of my life. Any place I add value is work. So my family, my relationships, my service, all these things are work. I'm going to put my, those four things where it matters most so that over the course of my life, I know that I'm building a body of work I'm going to be proud of. And the last day of my life, I can look back without regret about how I spent my time on this earth. And that's really the message of Die Empty. It's not get everything done. I hope I die with more ambitions than I had the day before. I hope I have more ideas. I hope I get better and better and better until the day I die with more ambition, more ideas, more, more projects I want to do. It's not about getting it all done. It's about dying empty of regret, not looking back and saying, what did I do with my life? So in other words, it's not all about making sure you've checked every item off your bucket list. No, of course not. No, and nobody does that. How boring would that be? How small would your ambitions be if you got around to doing everything you wanted to do by age 50 and you said, well, I guess that's kind of it, right? No, no. And so that's why we talk about things and I, I write about things in the book like defining your through line and stoking your curiosity and stepping out of your comfort zone and stretching yourself and making sure you're not falling prey to delusion, not allowing ego to, to cause you to become inflexible. Man, that's a big one, especially in companies. I work with a lot of companies, man, and ego, there are people who would rather live with the perceived illusion of invulnerability than have to grapple with the fact that they might not be sufficient for the task at hand, right? 
ego gets the best of us and it makes us inflexible and causes us to cower in the corner. And we have to be careful not to allow that to happen. Fear and guardedness are the, are the final two things. And I mean, these things rule people's lives. They destroy people's lives. They eat away at them from the inside out and they cause people to live a life of mediocrity. And what's interesting, Eric, is that word mediocrity comes from the root words medius and ochris, which means middle and rugged mountain. So what it means is that you start off heading to the summit. You start off with these big ambitions, these goals, but at some point you settle in. You say, okay, close enough, close enough, right? And, and I don't want that to define my life, and I know you and the listeners don't want that to define their life as well. Oh, man, I'm glad you shared that because I'd never heard that word broken down like that before. I always love hearing when words are broken down into their original meanings. It makes – I'm a word nerd in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I didn't know it meant that. Wow, that really illuminates like what that really means. It gives it a, a new depth, if you will. So I smell a new podcast coming on called Word Nerd. Word, the Word Nerd. It's, yes. uh, it's Derivation with Eric Fisher. <laughs> Yes, and, and each each week we'll have to have a different title that means the same thing. So. <laughs> it's the homonym show. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, die empty. Is that right? Homonym. Anyway, I think or antonym or pseudonym or well, anyways, uh, you get it. Word nerd. Die empty sounds a bit morbid to people, and mm. uh, people don't want to talk about death. So. What, why do you think that is? Do we have the wrong perspective on death? I know you mentioned in the book, and most people have probably seen it, and if they haven't, they should, go watch Steve Jobs' commencement speech. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Listen, death is the one experience we all have in common. <laughs> it's the one thing that's going to happen to all of us. And I kind of, I mean, I joke about that in the book, right? Like we kind of, we, you know, this is a, a risky play for me as an author to write a book that, <clears throat> you know, with death is kind of the motivational slogan. And I get that. I get why people don't want to think about it. But at the same time, we have to realize there is a bookend to our life. This is not a rehearsal for your life. Today is not a rehearsal. This is your life that you are living. Are you spending your life in a manner that you will later be proud of? You know, And that's a question we have to wrestle with at some point. At some point, we're going to ask about the quality of our life. Now, listen, we all have different opportunities um, you know, some of the stuff we're talking about are total first world issues, right? Oh, do I feel satisfaction with my job, right? That is such a first world thing to think about. But guess what? The big problems that we're facing in the world today are not going to be solved by people miserably grinding away in their job, you know, cranking out a little bit more effort so they can buy things that will rot and rust. Those aren't the people who are going to solve these big societal issues that we face, the big global problems. It's going to be people who pour themselves fully into work that they care about, that they're willing to suffer for, that they're passionate about. Passion, by the way, means to suffer since you're a word nerd, right? That word, the root word is to suffer. So they're willing to suffer on behalf of of a cause to stand in the gap. Those are the people who are going to solve these big problems, not people who are working so they can buy a few more things that are eventually going to rot and rust. And that's the trap that people fall into. That's why people end up medius ochris. You know, they settle in, they satisfy, to borrow a Herbert Simon phrase. They, they, they settle in, they say close enough. But eventually that what, the, what is comfortable now becomes uncomfortable because they realize they have sold themselves out in small ways over time. You cannot pursue comfort and great work at the same time. They are mutually exclusive propositions. Now, you might experience comfort 
on the path to doing great work. And that's fine. As a byproduct of your work, listen, I, I have a comfortable life in the sense that I you know, don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to sleep tonight. I mean, that's, that's a relative sense of comfort that I have. At the same time, if I start to make comfort my objective in life, eventually I will compromise great work because great work is performed when people do what's right in spite of the fact that it's uncomfortable. Man, the book itself, as you're walking through the fleshing out of these ideas, you it's split into three sections. What are those three sections? Yeah, so well, we actually we ended up um, dividing it up into two sections. Oh, okay. eventually, but uh, yeah. So, but but the, the the first part deals with some of the dynamics that lead to mediocrity. So, why do people succumb to mediocrity? Why do they compromise their body of work? What are some of the common forces that people fall into? And this is good for people really early in their career. I'm I'm giving it to my ten year old son actually, and, I, and we're going to kind of walk through it together. I mean, nothing like having your dad say, "Here, son, read my book." Right? But, <laughs> um, but we're going to kind of walk through it together because. I want him to have a firm grounding in some of the forces that are going to affect him as he goes through high school, as he goes through you know, college, and eventually goes out and tries to make a contribution to the world. But it's also good for people who are maybe later in their career, who are thinking, I mean, I'm doing good work. My boss seems happy. My manager seems happy. My clients are happy. But I just, I know that there's something more I need to get out of me. So the first part addresses some of those common issues. And then the second part talks about how to countermand those issues, those common forces that lead to mediocrity. And, and build a life of contribution. And, and then the third, the third part, I guess if you want to call it that, is um, on a day-by-day basis, what are some very simple practices? I mean, I basically teach you how to, how to run your life from the back of an index card in terms of staying um, focused. And we use the acronym EMPTY, which is ethic, your, your personal operating ethic for the day, mission, which is your through line, what is the core mission that you're about today, um, people, tasks and you what are you going to do to develop yourself today so that's kind of the last section of the book and then the the last chapter is kind of like with the accidental creative i call it the junk drawer you know it's like all the (laughs) stuff i wanted to say but i couldn't really figure out how to say so you know the last chapter is kind of the junk drawer of here are some final thoughts a kind of exclamation point um on the on the back end so yeah and you mentioned the daily practices i know you talk about a daily checkpoint and and how that's different from you know like GTD is like it's a weekly review and and why why daily? Well, I you know I think you could you could do it weekly. That's fine. But I mean today matters. You know, and I don't want to go a week between course corrections. You know, I want to make sure I know that today I'm spending today well. Um, and I, I actually had this this conversation with David Allen. I did an interview for his community recently, and we were talking about this. And he was saying he's going to apply some of these questions from Die Empty to kind of his his rhythms and, and the way that he goes about GTD. It's a, it's, a, it's a dovetailing system, right? I mean, this totally fits. I'm a GTD addict. I've been using GTD since, I don't know, 2003, 2002. Um, I use OmniFocus now, and, and you know, basically I'm, I'm all GTD all the time. And I, I mean, I told David that. But these are some of the questions that I keep on my list, the, the ones that are in the book, to help me stay aligned. And I do this on a daily basis, you know, 10, 15 minutes, just because today matters. Where I put my time today matters. I want to make sure that I'm getting around to the stuff that matters today and not just, you know, kind of drifting from day to day. That's why I recommend a daily practice as well as a weekly and a monthly practice. Well, speaking of daily practices, here's the perfect opportunity to ask you, in an ideal world, how do you start your day? Complete and utter silence. Uh, I get out of bed. I, I make a cup of coffee in my, my French press because I'm kind of like that. 
Then I go to my home office and I, I have a sofa in my home office and I spend the first hour to hour and a half of my day reading and I have, I have you know, whatever I'm, I happen to be reading that day. So it's basically study, thought and writing for the first hour and a half. I've been doing that since 2004. Um, and I have to tell you, there was a point in my life when I started doing that where a new vector was established for me, where I started my day saying, I'm going to give my mind time to think, to process, to make connections to start processing systemically some of the things I'm experiencing. The moment I built that practice into my life was the moment that a a new vector was established for me. And really, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I built that practice into my life. At that point, I was kind of bouncing from thing to thing to thing and project to project. And that was really kind of the beginning of me starting to connect some dots and eventually ended up uh, where where I am right now. So um, yeah, in my ideal world, it starts with an hour and a half of thought uh, study and reading, and, and that happens every, every day a week, seven seven days a week. I'm usually out of bed by you know about six o'clock. Nice. I think it's interesting how many different versions of that I get, especially with the, the people that are like, I I do it the night before, and I others where it's like I get to work right away, and you know, to each his own, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it, I love asking that question of everybody these days. So. As our time kind of comes to a close, I want to touch on one last topic here. I know you kind of mentioned passion earlier, and, and in the book you mentioned something called the passion fallacy. Yeah. And I guess I want to ask, for you, what, what do you say to people when they express like a, a dissatisfaction with their current circumstances, but are maybe just waiting on the circumstances to change in order for anything to get better and not necessarily actions that they need to take themselves? Yeah, there are there are really two kind of responses I get. So I speak I speak to the, you know thousands of people every month at companies or conferences or whatever. And so as a result, you know I get to meet a lot of people and and people come up to me and talk and I get to hear their story. And um, I always ask them when people come up and they start complaining about their job. I say, if you could change anything about your job right now, what would it be? That's my that's my question for them. And you know sometimes they look at me like a deer in the headlights, like. What do you mean? I never thought about it before. I have to go away and, and think about that. But then, you know, a lot of times they shoot back with an answer. And there are two kinds of answers that I get typically. And the first one is what I call the contingency response. And the contingency response is I am waiting for something else to change so that I can do better work, right? Or so that I can feel more engaged or so that I can, I can, I can, I can only if somebody else changes something that is that I'm, my happiness is contingent upon. The second kind of response is the ownership response, which is, well, I could do this, or I could do that, or I can make these changes. And it's funny how often, once people respond that way, once they start thinking about the things they could change, how often the, the follow-up question that they ask, which is, why aren't you doing that, is met with, I don't know, I think I'll start tomorrow, you know? Um, you know, it's so easy to fall into this trap, Eric, of thinking the grass is greener. Oh, if I just hop jobs, it's going to be better somewhere else. But the reality is that six months later, people feel frustrated and stagnant and bored again because they didn't change the core problem. They didn't change the way they're approaching their work. Most of the issues – now, by the way, there are some very abusive environments, very abusive organizations. I totally get that. You know, I've seen a lot of that. And I know that some situations just cannot be remedied. And I, and I get that. But for the vast majority of us, we have to do everything we can do to get our house in order and make sure that we are bringing ourselves fully to what we do and finding ways of adding value and pouring ourselves into it before we look to some external circumstance to change that. If we do that in that order, 
then we're going to be far more likely to eventually land in a place that we will find satisfaction with. Um, I think it's an easy way out to point fingers and, and play the victim. And, and honestly, I think in some, in some cases, it's a form of ego. I'm going to take my marbles and go home, right? Because you're not letting me play the way I want to. Right. Well, that, that's fine. Uh, and I've been there. I've done that before. And I look back now and I say the reason I did that was because it was all about me and not about the work and the value I was contributing. If you learn to contribute value, if you learn who you are through decisive action, then you will eventually figure out a way to work yourself into a place where you're contributing value that you uniquely can offer. Awesome. That's a great place to end in terms of talking about the book, but I'd love for you to share with my listeners when the book comes out and some of the bonuses. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So, you know, whenever an author says, listen, my goal isn't just to sell books, right? People kind of roll their eyes. I'm telling you with everything, you can hear the passion in my voice as I'm talking about this, right? Like I could, I'm, I, you know, I could talk about this for three days and we won't, you know, for the sake of your audience. But my goal is to see changes in the lives of the people who read this book. So what I wanted to do is instead of saying, hey, if you buy my book, we're going to give you all of these completely irrelevant gifts that have nothing to do with the book and you know all of this, which a lot of people do and it's fine. I wanted to create something to help people interact with and engage with the, with the content. So what we're doing is we're creating a book club um, where if people pre-order the book and they go to dieempty.com and register their pre-order, you're going to get access to this 30 to 60 minute podcast every week that I'm creating where people can ask questions, they can interact, they can you know, make comments about different things in the book and then I'm going to respond to those via podcast over the course of several weeks after the book launch because I really want to create a forum for people to interact with the material. And also, there are several other gifts as well, like a, a downloadable workbook, PIP worksheet, which is an ideation tool. But also, uh, we made available the 147-episode secret podcast stash that's never before been publicly released. We have 147 episodes that are going to be immediately available if people pre-order the book before it comes out on September 26th. And by the way, if you're listening to this after that, you might want to check out the site at dieempty.com because we might be a little lazy in pulling that down and you might actually still be able to do that because things are <laughs> going to be busy. We might, we might not pull it down exactly on time. So uh, check that out. Awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where should people, other than going to dieempty.com, where should they connect with you online? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is at toddhenry.com, T-O-D-D-H-E-N-R-Y.com, and you can get to my other site and my podcasts and other things from there. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming by. It's been great talking with you. Eric, thank you, and thanks for the incredible value that you contribute on a regular basis through your podcast and your work. It's, it's, uh, it's a staple for me, for sure. Well, that does it for another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to Todd Henry for stopping by. Again, make sure to go grab that quickly. Go to dieempty.com and grab that bonus package he's been talking about. If you're on time, you'll be able to grab that now. I did, and I think everybody else should as well. And again, don't forget to support the show by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash goals. Go ahead and grab that book. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. It's a daily reader for about a month where you can sit and figure out and be inspired, get some instruction, do some homework, and really start to define what it is you want in life as well as make some steps to go and get it. And if you'd like to leave feedback for this show or the podcast in general, go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes, and you can leave us a rating or a review. Thanks to those that have already done that, and if you've been meaning to for a while, now's the time to do that. Thank you so much. See you next time. 
Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.